Hello, folks, and welcome back. This is the On Being Christian Podcast. My name is Nolan Ruby, and the On Being Christian Podcast is a ministry of the Wasatch Front Baptist Church. I'm the pastor of the Wasatch Front Baptist Church here in Salt Lake City, Utah, and I'm glad to be talking with you today. As, I, as I'm talking to you, as I'm recording this podcast, I'm looking out over the landscape of Salt Lake City, and we are absolutely buried in snow. Uh, and I know that's not exclusive to just Salt Lake City. Most of the country is dealing with record snowfall and cold temperatures and wind. But my boys sure do enjoy this. This is a time when they get to take a little bit of initiative and make some money they do some scooping and try to be a help to our neighbors. In fact, our neighbor directly to us uh, works at a bakery, and she pays my boys in donuts. And uh, they think that that's just about the best form of payment that they could get. They really like it. And so they'll be out there for hours and come back in with a box of donuts and rolls, and they just think that's about as good as it gets. But anyway, I hope you're staying safe and, and warm and that you're dealing with this snowfall. I want to talk to you today about something, if you don't mind, that has been a passion of mine for a long time. Now, there's lots of different subjects um, that people claim and, and write about, and leadership, which is what this is going to be about, is one of those subjects. There's lots of authors, there's lots of books, there's lots of self-help gurus who have different takes on leadership. I'm not going to pretend to be one of those, but what I am going to share with you today is one single verse from the Bible that gives us six very clear concepts of leadership as it relates to one man in the Bible who is known for his leadership, and that would be David. I was reading through 1 Samuel a little earlier this week, and I've understood this verse. I've, I've had this verse in my mind in the past and when I read past it, I just thought, you know, this is exactly what we need. This is exactly one of those things in our society today, leadership, true leadership, strong leadership, that has seemed to fade with the additional uh, subjective matter of personal truth being more important than objective truth and all those types of things. But if you go to 1 Samuel chapter 16... You're going to find a verse, verse 18, early in the life of David, that talks about what other people knew him for. In other words, it talks about or it shows us what the reputation of David was. These are six qualities that other people related to others concerning who David was, not what David said about himself. And that plays right into the direction of this podcast in other words, this podcast is initially goal-oriented at removing Christianity from the realm of being nothing more than a noun and moving it back into what would be more appropriately understood to be a verb. In other words, Christianity should be something that we're known for because of the way we live, not something we're known for because of what we say about ourselves. And leadership is the same thing. True leaders usually don't have to proclaim that they are leaders. True leaders attract people to them because they are leaders. And David was one of those men. And there's a, there's a, there's a verse, 1 Samuel chapter 16, 
verse 18 says, Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite that is cunning in plain and a mighty valiant man, and a man of war and prudent in matters, and a comely person, and the Lord is with him. Now this is David that they're talking about, and this reputation of David is being relayed to the king of Israel at the time, a man named Saul. In fact, Saul was the first king of Israel. Before that, they had judges that governed the nation, and the nation sort of rebelled against God and said they wanted to be like the other nations around them, and they wanted a king. And so Saul was the man that they chose. And through the life of Saul, some things had transpired where the Lord removed himself off of Saul, and through Samuel's anointing of David, God chose David to be the king. And there's a long process that takes place between those two men being the king, and that's not necessarily what this podcast is about, but in the early parts of that process, David and the reality of who David was concerning his reputation was made known to Saul because David was very consistent in his characteristics. And I want to show you from this verse that we just read six things that I think would help you and me concerning what we might also like to be known for uh, with respect to our leadership capability. And the first thing is found right off the bat in verse 18. It says, Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite. This is David. David's father was Jesse. He was the youngest of Jesse's sons. That is cunning. Cunning and plain. Cunning is the first word that's used to describe David. And it's not something that David's describing himself with. It's something that David David is being described as. He's a cunning man. Now, that word cunning, it's an interesting word. It means knowledge and learning. That's the most general application of the word. But if you dig a little bit deeper into it, that word cunning is a word that means having the capacity or faculty of knowing. It's wisdom and intelligence. It's expertness. It's dexterity and cleverness and skill in how to do a thing. That's what the word cunning means. And so David's reputation was one of a man who had a cunning ability. In other words, he had such a very articulate and clear mental picture of what he could do that it produced physical ability that surpassed other people around him. And it wasn't something that he said about himself. It was something that people observed about him. And they could see that his cunning, his skill, his learned ability was better than most. One of the things that I tell my boys and I tell other youth groups that I work with is, listen, you don't have to be the best at everything. In fact, you don't even have to be the absolute best at anything, as long as the thing that you do, you're doing at the best of your ability. The best of your ability. And David was one of these young men, at this point in his life, a very young man, who was known for being very, very good at what he did. Why? Why was he good? It wasn't natural. Cunning is not natural. 
learned skill is not natural. Cunning and learned skill is a matter of discipline. And one of the first things that you're going to understand from this scripture reference required in the reputational life of a leader is that they have to be disciplined, incredibly disciplined. And they have to be disciplined for their own self and a leader of their own self first, long before they are going to lead and discipline anybody else. I tell folks all the time here at Wasatch Front Baptist Church, the Lord doesn't choose qualified people and make them faithful. He chooses faithful people, and through their faithfulness, they achieve qualification. Everybody wants to be rich, but no one wants to do anything it takes to get rich. Everybody would love to have an exclusive skill, but nobody or very few people do what it takes to put them in the ranks of exclusivity concerning their skill. There are naturally skilled people, but natural skill doesn't take you to the top. In fact, natural skill doesn't even put you in the same realm as average people who work very hard. Skillful, cunning people are people who have added a level of discipline to their life that is evident through the success and through the achievements that their work is showing. Does that make sense? That's the first thing that you're going to see in the lives of leaders. These aren't people who aren't skilled. They may not be the best at everything that they're doing, but they know how to keep and attract people who are at the best at everything that must be done. Leaders constantly surround themselves with cunning, skillful people because they themselves understand the importance of being cunning and skillful. One of my favorite definitions for this word cunning is that word expertness and dexterity. In other words, uh, I don't know if you know anything about playing guitar. I have fiddled with it never enough to be able to say that I'm a guitar player, but I do uh, have a, a good level of enjoyment watching people who are very, very skilled at guitar play it. And there's a couple people that if you go and look up some videos, you watch their hand working the neck of that guitar, working the frets of that guitar. They're not looking at their hand. Through practice and through sacrifice, they've learned the position of their fingers, the movement of their hand, the pressure of their fingertips to get the exact level of skill, the exact level of force required to produce the exact sound they want. In other words, there's not a lot of space between what their mind is saying to do and what their fingers and hand is doing. They're, they're linked within themselves, and they're pushing the vision of their mind through to the skill of their hand with no time in between. That's cunning. And that's what it takes to be a leader. It takes an ability for someone to take a vision within their head and create it with their hands. And that's not natural. That takes work. That takes sacrifice. That takes expertness and dexterity and cleverness and intelligence. That takes, that takes everything you got. It'll demand everything that you have to, have to give. Because you can never achieve perfection in anything. You can only get as close as you possibly can to it. And the moment you stop chasing it, you start going backwards. And that's just the reality of life. 
cunning. Let's look at the next one that we find in that same reference, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 18. The Bible says, Behold, I have seen the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, that is a cunning man, a cunning and plain, and a mighty, valiant man. And so this is really, we're going to look at number two and number three sort of together, the word mighty and the word valiant. These are the words that are used to describe David's manhood, to describe his capacity as a leader. The word mighty is a word that means possessing power. It's a transcendent or or imposing degree of force. It is with reverence to influence. In other words, David's might, David's, uh, and you, if you wanted to use another word for mighty, it would be uh, learned influence. So cunning would be learned skill, and mighty would be learned influence. David's might is so particular that it influences situations that he becomes involved in. Now, picture that for a second. You ever known somebody who, when they walk into a room, the room seems to shift to their energy? That's a leader. It could just be someone who's very has a very sanguine personality and is very much the life of the party. But a skilled influencer, a mighty man, can walk into a situation, become a part of a happenstance, and his might will influence outcomes. It'll change what was going to happen. If you put this into just clearly a physical realm, you understand that I used to be a cage fighter. I used to, and I'm not talking at the highest levels or anything like that. I, I just I used to be a martial artist. I fought in rings and cages and, and competitions for a long time. And two people are walking into that ring at the beginning of that fight. And at the end of that fight, you're going to understand one thing very, very clearly. In fact, you'll know it 100% to the depth of who you are. One of those fighters will have been more, quote-unquote, influential than the other one. One of them will have been more mighty. Whichever one was more mighty, more prepared more skillful, more cunning, is the one who's standing at the end when the bell rings. And that's what that word mighty means. Someone who has an opposing degree of force. You know what this makes me think of? It makes me think of the circles of influence. I don't know if you've ever studied or heard about the circles of influence. Picture with me, if you will, a target, like a dartboard, and you have the very center And then as the centers grow, as the rings grow and push outward, the numbers get less. and You have less points, right? So picture with me, if you would, just a dartboard in your head, a a target. Most of us, I want you to understand, we are the center of of that dartboard. We're the center of that target. Most of us spend most of our time worrying about the outermost ring. That's the ring that we actually don't have a lot to do with and don't have a lot of influence involved in it. And we're very dismissive of the rings that are the closest to us. So if you're the center ring, the very next ring would be your family. The very next ring around that would be maybe your church or your community or your profession. The very next ring about around that would be um, perhaps your state or your, your city, 
All right. And then as you go out all the way out to national politics, global politics, global citizenry, things like that, most of us spend all of our time talking and worrying about national issues, global issues that we we actually can't do very many things about. And we're very dismissive of those rings that are very close to us, which are the rings that we actually could do something about if we applied ourselves. And so the circles of influence, men who understand how to be mighty are men who, who understand how to push out those circles, how to push their influence out and reach further and further circles. They understand that if they're effective with their self, they can be effective with their wife. And if they're effective with their wife, then they can be effective with their children. If they can be effective with their children, then they can be effective with their extended family or their church family or their professional family. If they're effective in that way, then perhaps they become involved in their community and then their city and then their state. And it goes on and they push their influence out. They push their might out with an opposing degree of force because they understand the first person that they had to be a true leader of, the first person that they had to exercise might over, was the man who was looking back at them in the mirror every morning. That's mighty. We've lost some of that. We've lost quite a lot of that. A lot of people now who are in the outer rings of power weren't very successful in the inner rings, and we expect them to be successful in the outer rings by some kind of weird perverted sense of osmosis, and it's not going to happen. If you want to be a man who's a leader, somebody can be counted on, it's going to start on the inner rings. It's going to start with being mighty, very mighty, influential. You should be able to change outcomes of things. Your influence should be heard, heeded, and practiced, not just by you, but by others. When others start following you, then you know you're a leader. You can say you're a leader all day long, but leaders have followers. And so if you don't have any followers, you're not leading much. The next word there is the word valiant. Valiant is a word that means uh, a person of stalwart body, having or possessing courage or showing boldness, bravery. Bravery and fight. The word literally means stout-hearted, characterized or performed with courage. It's a valorous nature. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 18, it says, Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite that is cunning in playing and a mighty, valiant man. That word valiant is what we're talking about now. Courageous possessing great courage, characterized by his performance under the most stressful situations. It's a valorous sense of nature, valiant. I teach church security. I have for the better part of six, seven years. I've gone all over the country doing this. And one of the things that I tell people, there's a Bible verse that commands us to to do no violence. But there's also several Bible verses that say that we are to be men of valiant, Valiants, valiant men. And here's what I tell people. It takes valiant men to stop a violent man. A violence, the word violence is someone who, who agitates or shakes or molests or causes damage. 
A valiant man is the opposite of that. A valiant man is one who repairs where there has been hurt, brings peace where there has been conflict, brings hope where there was destitution. That's valiance. That's a leader. And that's what you have to be known for through your actions, not your words. Talk is cheap. You can say that you're these things all day long, but until you show them, until you live them in real time as a man, personally, for God's name's sake and for your own sake, then no one really cares what you say. They only follow what you do. We've lost men who lead by example. We've lost men who lead, period. I grew up in a home where the, it was very common to be told to do what I was told and not what I was seeing. And I know how that made me feel as a young man, and so I always try to remember that my sons and my family, my daughter, they're not going to do so much of what I say. They're not going to follow so much of what I speak, but they are going to mimic what I do. And if you have people in your life, and you do, that you're responsible for leading, it's what you do that's going to influence their life, not what you say. And so cunning, it's a learned skill. Mighty is a learned influence. And valiancy, or being a man of being a valiant man, that's a form of learned patience. Learned patience. Being valiant means seeing the end, having the vision of where we need to go, but getting there through people. Understanding that it's people that are the mission, not the mission apart from the people. Valiant men have that idea, have that ability of courage, not to do what the world has defined as courageous things, but to do the courageous things that the world dismisses, like taking insult without responding negatively, taking responsibility where perhaps you could articulate that you didn't actually have any responsibility, being the one who takes the fault for the team when there's fault to be given and gives the praise to the team when there's praise to be given. That's a valiant man. Those men are actually the leaders. I don't care who's sitting in the big comfy chair in the corner office. The one who's leading is the one who's responsible to self and takes the credit and gives it to the people he's working with. That's valiance. That's courage. That's what showing boldness and bravery is really all about. It's a, it's, it's a performance that you give, not a statement that you make. A valorous nature, a man with a valorous nature will, will take the work and give the reward away. The man of the valorous nature understands that the worth is actually in the work. The reward's just a byproduct, and he can give that to whoever he'd like because the work is what attracts him. That's what valent, valiancy is. Being a valiant man is being a man who has learned patience. Just like cunning, just like the skill in cunningness, just like the, the influence in the mighty, the patience that is, uh, that is a, a picture of a valiant man, patience is not natural. It must be learned. And so, so far, we're three characteristics into what leadership is, and none of them 
our natural characteristics. They're learned characteristics. Because here's what I want you to understand, and we're going to say it at the end again. Being a leader is not something that you are naturally. You might have more natural inclinations towards doing the things it takes to become a leader, but no one's a natural leader. Leaders strive for the mastery. Leaders learn skill. They learn how to be influential. They learn how to have patience. I was telling the folks here at the church just a couple weeks ago, everybody, there are certain things that we'll take to the Lord in our prayer lives, and patience is one of those things. We'll say, Lord, can you please teach me how to be more patient? And then the Lord will bring situations into our life that demand patience. And when they come, we go to the Lord and ask him what's wrong with him. Why would you let me go through this? Don't you love me? I asked for patience, not for problems. <laughs> and the Lord says, son, leaning on me through problems is how you get patience. What did you want him to do? Just download it into your head? Folks, it's learned. The worth is in the work. Let's go to the fourth thing. After you see that mighty and cunning player, the, the cunning player, the mighty valiant man, you'll see this. It says, and a man of war. Now, I like this one, not for the reasons that you might think, but because the definition is very appropriate. A man of war, it, it's an interesting word. It's a word for those skilled in battle, meaning the study of fighting. Not just the act of war, but the concepts of it, the study of it, the application of it. A man of war is a man, it's an individual, often used as an, as a, as like a, an adjunct to a more definitive term. It is a word that gives the context of worthy. So in other words, David was a man of war. He was worthy of the conflict. And people knew that about him based off what he was doing, not off what he was saying. Worthy of the conflict. Do you know why the NFL has a combine? Because they're trying to find men worthy of the conflict. Listen, I would dare say that I like football more than a lot of people playing football. That doesn't mean that I have the skill it takes to get on that field and bang with the best of them. It just, I'm far short of that. I'm far short of that. I'm not worthy of the conflict. David was a man worthy of the conflict. He was a man of war. He studied what it meant to survive in situations where nobody else wanted to be, much less survive. It's been said that most businesses fail within the first two or three years. I don't have the statistics in front of me, but it's a high, high probability that a high percentage of first-time businesses will fail. Why? Why do they fail? Because the men who started those businesses, the people that started those businesses, were not worthy of the conflict that followed. They winged it, and they got their butt handed to them. And that's just how simple it is. You say, well, you don't know all this um, the specifics. You're right. I don't. I'm not pretending to know the specifics, but here's what I do know from personal experience and from what the Bible says. When you enter into the fray, you're going to take some hits. Most of the time, people act like they are surprised 
when the hits come. I've told you before, I used to be a cage fighter. You realize I never stepped into that ring. I never stepped into that cage and let them close that gate behind me. And then that, that bell dings. I was never shocked when the other person inside there with me tried to hit me. I never looked at them confused over what was happening. I knew what I was getting involved in. A lot of times people who have never dealt with any form of physical discipline have never been told no. They've been told they're special and that they're deserving all their life. They get into the real world and they put their big boy pants on and they get their face smashed in by business, by life, by love. Why? Because life is not your mommy. And life doesn't care what you think you're worth. You'll earn it or you'll get washed away. That's how simple it is. A man of war is someone who understands that he's not going to make it by accident. He's not going to be able to provide for other people by accident. He's going to be able to do it because he applies himself to it long before the fight comes. Long before the fight comes. I tell people all the time, listen, you'll never rise to the occasion. You'll only ever fall to the highest level of your last training session. You'll never be more than what you've prepared to be. That's what a man of war is. Someone who understands that the extent of his ability will never supersede the extent of his willingness to train. Whether it's physical, whether it's mental, it'll never you'll never be more than what you've prepared yourself to be. I don't understand why that's so hard to imagine. Regardless of what you can do with your thumbs on a PS5, in real life, you'll never be able to provide for people at a greater level than what you can provide for yourself. You'll never be able to rescue people from dangers that you are too afraid to face yourself. You'll never be able to provide a living for men and their families, in, whether it's as an employer or whether it's as a nonprofit, whatever, if you can't provide it for your own spouse, for your own family. You'll never exceed what you can do for your own self and those directly around you. You'll never reach the outer circles of influence if you can't control the inner circles. That's what a man of war is. It's someone who's worthy for the, for the fight, for the conflict. It's, a, it's, it's, that, it's that study of war. There's lots of books on this, folks. Some of the greatest generals in the world are men who understood that this isn't just a matter of throwing fisticuffs. It's a matter of thought. Leonidas, not according to the popular movie, but according to the very good book, uh, Gates of Fire, on the Marine Corps reading list, he once said that a nation which makes a great distinction between its warriors and its scholars will have its thinking done by cowards and its fighting done by fools. And I believe that's a pretty good reflection concerning where we are as a country today. Our thinking is being done by cowards and our fighting is being done by fools. Why? Because we don't have any men of war. We don't have any men worthy of the conflict. They think that they're just going to magically be what they're supposed to be or what they need to be in the hour when it's most required. And that's not the way it works. People who rise to the occasion are people who have risen 
to the occasion inside their own training regime, inside their own heart, and inside their own head long before it was required. That's what leadership is. It's a learned worthiness. And so you have cunning, which is a learned skillfulness. You have a mighty, which is a learned influence. You have valiant, which is a learned patience. And you have a man of war, or a, a man worthy of the conflict, which is a learned worthiness. Number five, we see the word prudent. He says, a mighty, valiant man, a man of war, and prudent in matters. Remember, these are all words that are being described about who David is from a third party. He's not saying these things about himself. This is what his life is saying about him, and thus being articulated by someone to the king of Israel regarding who David is. The fifth thing is prudence. He's a prudent man. The word prudent, I like this word. It's, uh, it's the meaning. It's acute in perception, gifted with mental discernment. The word means, it, in, a, in adopting means, to an end. In other words, it's careful to follow the most political and profitable course when, when, when appropriate. It's circumspect or discreet. It's judicious or judicious in conduct and action. Prudent. In other words, it's not quick decisions. My mother used to tell me all the time when I was a young, hot-headed guy, she would say, son, if you don't react, you'll never overreact. And prudence is one of those things that I had to learn. Prudence, a mental capacity for discernment, the careful uh, following of the most profitable course. And it's not the most profitable, profitable course for yourself. It's the most profitable course for those around you, that circumspect mindset. When we were in Iraq, we had two—we called them guardian angels. These were the two Marines on the back, in the back seats. Whenever the vehicle would stop, I was in a um, combined anti-armor, anti-terrorism team, so we ran Humvees. And whenever the Humvee, whenever the up-armored vehicle would stop, the two guys in the back would immediately get out, and they would create a perimeter around the truck. What they had to learn— was before opening that door, they would look out that window and get a visual clearing of the area, which means that their immediate circle of influence was safe. And then they would get out of the truck and then expand their circle of influence by making sure through a circumspect action, they would push that area of influence out. And every bit of real estate that they would purchase through prudent observation, they would then move forward in, and now they're the king of their own domain, so to speak. And we wanted the greatest amount of space between us, our truck, our weapons, our Marines, and the outside world. That's what we wanted to purchase. And that's what prudent men understand. Prudent men, through observation, through planning, through understanding, through forethought, will push the outside world as far as they can away, concerning its influence on them. One of the easiest ways to show you what I'm talking about is through the subject of finances. Men who understand responsibility to their wives and to their families understand that accidents are foreseeable. Unforeseen expenses can, in fact, be foreseen. If I put every little thing that I've ever wanted on the back burner and I keep an emergency fund, 
to take care of things that I don't see coming. Right? So sometimes we have these little things that we want, whether it's a collection or whether it's a certain form of travel, and we run ourselves dry, or at best we run ourselves from a paycheck-to-paycheck mindset. And then when life happens, we don't have any money, and we act like that's not our fault. When in reality, it is your fault, because you had stretched yourself so thin in the consumption of every little desire that you could possibly afford that when regular life happened, and it will happen, roofs need replaced, tires will pop, engines will blow, transmissions will fall out the back of your car, kids will get sick. In my personal life, everything was going good, and then one of my children was diagnosed with cancer. I tell you what, that'll rock your world. You go from being on top of the world and debt-free to the first bill that came, because I didn't have insurance, being $172,000. Whoa. That will still you. That will give you some things to think about. Prudent men see the dangers coming. They're not shocked by every little emergency in life. You ever dealt with those people who always seem to be having an emergency? Whether it's health-wise or financial or, or, or relationship-wise, they're always in a crisis. Why are they always in a crisis? Because they're not prudent. They're not looking farther down the road than the next five minutes in front of their life. And to be a leader, you have to have a vision that pushes your goals further down the road than anybody else's. My grandfather was a wonderful man. I've talked about him quite a lot. He had a saying. He used to tell me, son, the higher up the monkey climbs, the more of his butt you see. And his way, what he was saying was, you know, when you're prudent, you're going to put yourself in a position where everyone's watching you and they're judging you and they're making, they're making judgments about the decisions you're making. But just remember, that's because you're all the way out front. It's because you're all the way out front. And when life happens and none of them are prepared for it, your prudence will have put those and those in your immediate perspective that you love in a better and more safer place. That's what a leader is. A leader pushes those circles of influence further away. So prudence is learned vision. I have to learn to want things more than what I can get in a two-week check-to-check, hand-to-mouth situation. I need to see things that require sacrifice in the now for the benefit of the later. Most of us take the benefit now, deal with the sacrifice later. That's not a leader. A leader will push that sacrifice or will push that benefit further down the road and sacrifice in the real time. My grandfather was one such man. He made a life of pushing the benefit away, pushing the reward away, and continued to work. And when he passed away, he passed away some 18, 17, 18 years before his wife did. His wife was very well cared for. She was she, she lived the exact life that he wanted her to live because he prepared for it. And when she passed away, I was one of the benefactors of his work ethic. His sacrifice, his benefit that he provided pushed past his generation, past the second generation, and into the third generation of people. Why? Because he had vision. He was prudent. He was a sacrificer of the now. 
for the benefit of the later. That's what a leader is. The sixth thing that we find in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 18, is the word comely. Comely. A comely person, that, that's an interesting. The term is very simple. It means fair and beautiful. It means it's to express decent, sober, quiet beauty. It's an agreeable, pleasing presence. Let me ask you this. Do people like to be around you? Or are you just such an intolerable wreck that people would rather not be around you? Do you have to convince people to take phone calls from you? Or do people call you? You see, comely, being comely is a learned demeanor. You have to learn how to be attractive to other people. You have to learn that people are going to look for leadership in times of crisis. And if you are cunning and mighty and valiant and a man of war and prudent, that'll put you in a, a comely place. People will look to you. Not because you say, here, look at me, I'm the leader, but because your life says, I can be trusted. I can be counted on. You can put your, your, your eggs in my basket, so to speak. You can put your, your life in my hands, I'll take care of it. How? Because I've taken care of life. It's my reputation. It's earned. It's, it's, it's been earned through sacrifice and through pushing the benefit away and through pushing the circles of influence out through a learned skill, through that mighty, imposing degree of force that you bring into situations, that courageous, brave life, that stout-hearted characteristic that puts a, a spine in you that doesn't bend and compromise to things you don't agree with. All of those things, folks, David was known for them. He was known for them at such a high level that when it came time for the king to count on someone, men said, I know a guy. His name's David. And these are the qualities of him. They're leadership qualities. They're, they're, they're cunning and mighty and valiant, a man of war and prudent, and they were attractive. People were attracted to him. So you want to be a good leader? You want to be a man that other people can count on? You want to be a person that's looked to in times of trouble? Maybe you don't want any of these things, and if you don't, that's fine. Do your own thing. But if you do, it starts with the man in the mirror. It starts with these six qualities right here that separate you from the rest of the world, not because of who you say you are, but because of who your life says you are. Your life, the choices you make about how you are seen, your life will say more about you than what you say about yourself ever could, ever. And that's just the reality of it. I think we live in a life where most everyone that we're told are leaders we're told to accept it based off what they say, not based off what they do. We're told to look at what they say, and what they say is somehow supposed to change things when they don't actually do anything. Real leaders are doers. They're men of action. They're men who you can put your life in their hand, and they produce safety for it. The most important aspect of a leader is the thing that comes at the end of these six qualities. And it's what the Bible very simply says at the very end. I'll just read it so you can get the context. Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, 
I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite that is cunning in playing and mighty, a mighty valiant man, a man of war, prudent in matters and a comely person. And here's the most important part. And the Lord is with him. He was a Christian before Christ was born. (laughs) He was a man after God's own heart, the Bible says. His reputation was that of a man who the Lord was with. That's what kind of man I want to be. That's what kind of Christian I want to be. I want to be a Christian that people say the Lord's with him. I want to be a man, a husband, a father, a pastor, a community uh, representative, a leader that people look at and say, you know, I don't like him maybe, or I don't agree with everything that he says, but the Lord's with him. That's what it means, folks, that to be a leader without the greatest leader of all time, God, is impossible. There's things that you can say about yourself. There's things that you can demand that other people recognize about your subjective opinions concerning who you are. But real leaders don't need to announce it. Real leaders are already leading. They're leading themselves. You don't have to convince them to take a job. They'll take it because it's who they are. It's who what they're already doing. It's who they are already being. Real leaders are people and men of action. You don't have to sell something to them. You don't have to convince them to do it. And so three things, the word comely, it's a learned demeanor. It's a learned attractiveness. You have cunning, which is a learned skillfulness. You have being mighty, which is a learned uh, influence. You have being valiant, which is a learned patience. You have being a man of war, which is being a man with a learned vision. You've pushed that vision as, excuse me, being, being worthiness. It's a learned worthiness. The prudent is the vision. Being a prudent man is that learned vision. You've pushed your vision as far down as you can, past your life, past your children's life, into your children's children's lives, your benefits being pressed through the generations. And then it's comely, or it's a learned demeanor, or a learned attractiveness. You are what people look to when things get hard. You are who people run to when they don't know where else to go. That's what a leader is. And the most important part of all of it, you can have all of these things, but if you don't have the last one, then you have nothing, and the Lord is with him. Is the Lord with you? It might be more appropriate for me to ask it this way. Are you with the Lord? Are you doing what the Bible says a man or a woman who loves the Lord is supposed to do? Or are you redefining what the Bible means? fitting the Bible into who you've already chosen to be, accepting the parts that make it easy to be a Christian and rejecting the parts that demand more of you than who you naturally are. Folks, being a Christian is an action that demands truth, truth according to the Bible, not truth according to the man in the mirror. What kind of man are you? Let me rephrase it. What kind of man do you want to be? If you don't want it, then that's fine. That's, that, that's your thing. But if you want it, if you want to be a leader, you want to be one who others count on, who others run to, then these are the six things you need to put in your life. And they all need to come under the aspect or under the heading 
of being with God or God being with you. That's what a leader is, and that's what the world is looking for. It can start in your home. It can be pushed out into your immediate family, your society, your, your, your work profession, your, your, your church family. It can be pushed out until you, as, a, as an individual, through the people the Lord's given you, are affecting the outermost rings. That's what a leader is. Leadership doesn't start in the out and go in. It starts on the in and goes out. Folks, I love you. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions, you can get a hold of me at Wasatch, that's W-A-S-A-T-C-H, Front Baptist Church, WasatchFrontBaptistChurch.com. Under the drop-down menu, there's a Contact Us button, and there's a direct email, and I, it comes directly to me. I'd love to get your emails, your thoughts. If you have any questions, you can give me a call here at the office. The number is posted on that was, that, that site, again, wasatchfrontbaptistchurch.com. And if you're in Salt Lake City, I'd love to meet you. love to shake your hand, share a cup of coffee with you, or if you don't do coffee, share a cup of, I don't know, what do people drink that don't drink coffee? Water? Juice? Milk? We'll drink milk. That's what we'll do. All right. Folks, I'm going to dismiss and be done. I have some other things I'm going to do, and I'm sure you do as well. Let's pray, and we'll go on our merry way. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity, for this platform. Thank you for teaching us how to be leaders, people who are leaders based off what we do, not who proclaim ourselves to be leaders based off the subjective opinion of what we say we are. Lord, we leave all of these things in your hands, and we ask that your power be evident in our lives that, they be, that your power would be effective in our, in our decisions and, and in our priorities, that we would put you first, and that the glory of it we would leave to you, that we would leave it all to you, Father, that we would look to you for all the power of our future, and that we would be thankful to you for all the events of our past. Go with us now and bring us back together when it's, when it's time to, to be here in your word, in Jesus' name, amen.